Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. There should be a hope and a peace in every heart of every believer, every child of God, because of the gospel message. What else should it do? It should motivate you to get out and share. And maybe you take a day and just say, I'm gonna just spend some time rehearsing in my own heart what you've done for me. I feel like I've gotten out of touch. As we went through the section today, maybe you realize that I'm distant. I'm not humbled. I'm not overwhelmed by his grace. I'm not touched by God in that way. Just spend some time with him, you guys. Today's message with Pastor Bill will remind you of the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. The reality of what Jesus did for you should motivate you to share the good news of Christ without fear. If you find yourself in a place of distance from the Lord, in a place where you feel you have nothing to share, be encouraged. His grace is sufficient for you, for even when you're weak, He is strong. So no matter what season you're in, you always have something to share, and that something is God's grace. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Paul says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. So it almost sounds like Paul is like, man, he feels bad about what he was, right? Paul's testimony about what he was is not like people's testimony today. You hear some people share their testimony today. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I used to be, I used to be from this neighborhood over here, man. We used to work through just killing people, man. But, but then I met the Lord, you know, so. Whew, you know, but, you know, they, you can hear an excitement about what they were. I hear Paul saying, man, I, man, I, I feel bad about that. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. I used to persecute the church. Ugh. I hate to even say it, but I did it. That's how I hear Paul. I hear a, a disdain for the old life um, as he's walking in the new life. Be careful about being proud of what you were outside of the Lord. Happens sometimes. Some Christians, they, you walk in real soft in your walk with the Lord. And so some of your best things were when you weren't with the Lord. You know why? Because you went hard when you weren't with the Lord. But some people went hard in the world and they go soft in the Lord. And so it's like, yeah, I remember I was really the last time I could really remember being anything great or achieving or doing great was back then. We'll start walking with the Lord. Like you give the energy and the passion that you gave to that, to the Lord. And you'll find that God will make something great out of you. He needs some people. He's looking for some people. God, take the weakest one of us and he'll confound the world. It really doesn't have to be anything great about you when you bring it to the Lord. When you bring, you just got to come surrender. God, just take what I am. He's looking for surrendered, sold out people. That's the wonderful thing about Jesus. It's not like in the world. In the world, you got to have some stuff. You got to have some gifts and some abilities and some, you got to come with something. But to the Lord, you just got to come with who you are. And he'll make something great out. He made you with a purpose and he'll use you for that purpose. You just got to come with what you are. I invite everybody here, me too, that we would all just come to him with everything that we are and just say, God, use me. Have your way in this life. You deserve it. You paid for it with your blood. Have it. Have the rest of these days and do what you want with them. Amen. And so moving on now, the verse 10, he said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that's how any of us, we could all say the same thing. Maybe God is doing something great in your life. It's by the grace of God. Somebody, you know, celebrates what you're doing, you know, man, it's the grace of God in our lives. I'm hoping that we can believe that in reality, not in just some pharisaical, yeah, you know, it's just God's grace. But in reality, man, anything that you have and are, I am what I am by the grace of God. What is grace? It's God's unmerited, it's undeserved goodness and favor towards us. And it isn't that we've earned it or worked for it. How many of you guys here know that you've received things from the Lord that no credit? God just was good to you just because. 
I think, amen, this is in my life, I'll testify. I believe in my life there have been times where I think God did it on purpose this way. I can think of few times in my life where God did something exceptionally gracious in my life. At a moment when I was very clear that I was undeserving of it. It wasn't like I was doing great and then God said, I'm going to bless you with that blessing now. Because you know what I would have been like, well, it's because I was walking right, then God blessed me. So I, I guess if I just walk right, he'll bless me some more. But I feel like at a couple times in my life, God just picked a moment. Because God's blessed me when I've been doing well too. But there have been a couple few times in my life where I, at that moment, I know I'm messing up in this area of my walk. I'm, not, I'm messing up. I'm sinning. I'm blowing it in this area. And then at that moment right there in that time, that's when God says, I'm going to do this thing. And it wasn't to encourage me to keep sinning because you know what the response, what happened in my heart was there was a brokenness over my sin. There was a recognition, a, a realization in my heart that, man, God's just so good. There was a brokenness. Hmm. Yeah. So I can think of a, a couple of different instances anyway, where I'm just very aware that it's not me. And I hope that we're all aware it's not us, but it's grace. And grace is getting which you don't deserve. But this is how grace works. Grace doesn't make you sin more. Some people think you can't tell people that it's grace and then they'll just feel like they can do whatever. No, grace have you so broken. When you understand grace, there's something that melts me, breaks me. It's how much I understand I'm not worthy and don't deserve anything. From the very beginning. I mean, I can look back to the very beginning of my walk with the Lord. I can look at the beginning of giftings in God and just at every point just say, don't deserve anything. God has just been good and good and good. And so a lot of my life is in response. God, because you're so good, I do surrender. Because you're good to me when I don't deserve it, I repent. I submit. I surrender. I lay it down. I lay down my rights. I die to that easily. I, I, I'm no longer fighting for all my, well, I should be able, nothing, nothing. Because you're so good, grace. And so I look at Paul, again, he's one of my heroes. I believe he was a guy that got that. He understood it was grace. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And though he were great in my mind, in my eyes, he recognized it was not me. It was the grace of God. Last part of verse 10, he says, and his grace toward me was not in vain. God didn't waste it. He says, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Notice that grace didn't make Paul lazy. It didn't make Paul a passive saint. Grace didn't make Paul be a, well, since God's going to give me what I don't deserve, I'm going to just kick back and kick not deserve it. Give me some more. Grace motivated Paul. Paul said, I labored more than everybody else. Why did I labor like that? Because of God's grace towards me. Grace motivated him, right? The Bible says it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. And sometimes, and then grace is part of the goodness of God. Paul said, man, it was because of God's grace, right? I wasn't working for salvation. I was already saved. I was already born again. And maybe Paul would think back, I was on my way to kill Christians. And instead of killing me, God met me and saved me. That probably, that probably broke him every time he thought about it. I was on my way to kill Christians when God came and rescued me. I was, I was on my way. I was in sin. I was going to do more sin. It was in, I was in that direction with papers, on my way, with the, you know, with the people and everything else. God met me right there. And so sometimes it's a healthy thing to look back at how God apprehended your heart. Where were you? What were you doing? What were you into? How were your eyes open? What was God's grace towards you? For some of you, God's grace in your life was that he gave you parents that knew the Lord and they set the roadmap for you. 
And even when you got off, you knew how to get, you knew where to go back when it was time. Some of you, that was God's grace in your life to give you some parents that were faithful and they left a roadmap. That wasn't my testimony. Neither one of my parents were Christians. Neither one of my parents laid that roadmap for me. And so for me, what God did in my life was reveal himself to me. God used people. Um, he used a couple people, but in particular, he used one guy in my apartment building over and over again with the gospel. But he used people in my life that were faithful to speak the word of God and share the gospel and open my eyes. And again, when I look at where God met me, and you guys have heard my testimony. I was living in an apartment with a girl that wasn't my wife. I was in habitual sexual sin. I was drunk every day. I sold weed and did credit card scams. Nothing about my life said I was looking for God. But God came looking for me right there in my mess. And I was miserable in all my sin. And God came and met me there. I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't going to church trying to discover God. But he met me. I praise God for that. I really do praise God that he, that was, that's grace. I didn't deserve it. it. was nothing I was doing said I deserve God's goodness in my life right now. But he did it anyway. And everybody here has their own story. And it's got to be a story of grace. right? There's some story of grace that every one of us has. How God apprehended you how we got a hold of you, how he came after us, how he pursued us, how when we turned to him, he received us. That's grace, right? There was nothing great about us when we said, okay, God, I want you. You know, if, if we were to put that in flesh terms and we, you know, we turn with all kind of junk and nasty, here, I want you. And he said, okay, I, I, I've been wanting you. I'll take you. I'll clean you up. I'm gonna do a work with you. I'm gonna do a great thing in your life. That's what God does. He takes broken people, ministers to us, pours into us, transforms us from the inside out, and then says, now, would you go back out and tell other people how good I am? Would you be open to sharing that message with other people that need to hear it? It's a message of grace. It's a powerful message. And all this, Paul is saying, man, y'all going to miss this. The Corinthians not accepting or not believing in the resurrection because it's part of the message. So let's keep moving now. Verse 11. It says, um, therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and you believed. And um, real quick, Paul's just not really trying to take credit. Paul said, look, I, whether it was I or it was them, whoever it was, we preach, y'all believe. That's what happened. Paul wasn't the minister. said, I was the one led y'all to the Lord. Remember when I came and I preached and you raised your hands, y'all received the Lord? That was when I came. Remember? Paul said, look, I, that's not the issue. It was me. It was them. The issue is the big deal is y'all believe at once upon a time. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? So they said, look, if the message that you believed in the very beginning was that Christ came, died, was buried and rose from the grave. How is it that now some of y'all are not believing this? What happened? Um, how is it that some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? And now Paul begins to argue his points kind of like a lawyer. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, Christ is not risen. Right. If there is no resurrection, Christ is still in the grave. Well, we know he's not. Verse 14, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. So if Christ isn't raised in the grave, our preaching is air, it's empty, it's worthless, and so is your faith. Your faith is in something that didn't actually happen. My preaching is empty if he didn't rise, so is your faith empty if he didn't rise from the dead. If Christ is not risen, um, then verse 15, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. And again, each one of these, look, if the dead didn't rise, you know, we're lying. Y'all believing in a false thing. Um, our testimony is not true. We're actually false witnesses. We're lying on the Lord. Verse 16, 
For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So your faith is futile. That means in vain or for nothing. And you're still in your sins. And Paul says this is all the result. If there is no resurrection, that's why the resurrection is a critical part of the gospel. You cannot be saved and not believe that the whole gospel, that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave. That's all part of the gospel. And so someone that would say, well, you have a hard time believing that somebody rose from the grave. You need to check that out. You need to pray about that. That's a part of the gospel. That's what he did. That's how come believers don't fear death, right? Because he has power over death. He demonstrated he rose and so will we. Death didn't hold him, neither will it hold you. So the believer didn't have to be terrified of death. Death is how we transition from this phase to the next phase of life. So it's not like, you know, we don't just go into a hole. We don't go into blackness and darkness. Uh, we don't just go to nothing. We don't reincarnate, you know, believers to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. And the Bible then teaches also about a bodily resurrection that we will, we will rise like he did. And so we'll come to that uh, later, not today. Verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So those that have died and gone on to be with the Lord before, they perished if there is no resurrection. Um, you won't see them again. You won't see grandma again, you know, which is what believers are taught uh, here in 1 Corinthians 15, also in Thessalonians, that we comfort one another with the idea, the thought that we're going to see them again. Uh, we're going to be in glory together. My loved ones that have died and gone on to be with the Lord, um, you know, we're separated by this era. They're in heaven and we're down here on earth, but we will meet again. Uh, I remember David said of the son that it passed away. He said, look, he can't come back where I am, but I will be going where he is. I'll see him again. I'm sure of it. And so that's the hope in the heart of the believer. Verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. Now, I've heard people say this before, and I've always kind of disagreed, but I, this is why I disagree. I've heard people say, well, look, you know, if let's say you give your life to Christ and we find out that it was all false. Well, you still had a better life on earth. And some people use that as kind of their, you know, it's kind of as they're witnessing like, well, just live for Christ anyway. And even if you're wrong, you still had a better deal. I disagree with that. Um, I'll share why. One, that will create a weak. If I can't I can't believe in Christ in, a, in that way. You can't believe you either do or you don't. You either in or you're out. You either soul out or you're not. You can't believe in Christ. Like, well, I'm going to just put my faith in Christ that way. It seems like the best option of the several. And if I'm wrong, because you can't be believing in Christ and believe that you could be wrong. You don't believe enough. You're not sold out. You, you don't believe the right way. You must be convinced. You must believe with all your heart. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross, was buried, rose from the grave. I tell people like this. I know that I'm black, right? I know they got these little tests you can take and they might, if, if I take a test, and they come back and say, no, you're actually Caucasian and Irish and a little bit of Latin and, you know, Grecian. I'm saying, no, I'm black. I mean, I'm committed. I, I won't be deterred. I am black. I seen my mama, seen my daddy. I seen their mamas and their daddy. I seen the photographs, seen the pictures, seen them in person. I am what I am. I, I really can't be convinced. I wouldn't care what a DNA test said or a medical doctor said. I was just laughing. I'm like, I'm black. Just going with that. You tell somebody else that we hear you. I won't. That's how I believe what I am. Right. 
I need to know the same way that I'm saved, that I believe, that I believe Jesus died on the cross. I won't be deterred. I don't care what you bring. I don't care what you come to the table with. I, I believe Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, is coming back again. I'm sold out to that belief. I will not be deterred. I can't believe it with a, in a lightweight kind of, well, it's just the best thing. And if you, if you really read your Bible, there isn't really a guarantee that walking with the Lord is going to make this life better. Um, we really walk with the Lord in this life, accepting that it's going to be difficult because we're looking forward to the life to come, right? What did Paul say in Romans 8, 18? I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I'm looking forward to then. I'm not tripping off for now. That's how we're supposed to be living. So that's why I disagree with that sort of thinking, right? We need to believe it with all our heart because it's the truth. It's the gospel. It's what he did for you and for me. It's provable. If you read your Bible, pray about it. You can look at secular history. It's evidence that Jesus existed, that he did die on the cross, and that he was seen after his death. Secular, it's, it's in secular history and it's in the Bible. I'm, I'm good enough with what's in the Bible. God said it. I believe it. For me, that settles it. It's wrapped up. He came. He died. He's coming back again. You better be ready when he do. I'm sold out to that belief. So, when Paul says here, look, in this life only, we have hope. He said, we are of all men most pitiable. That's it. If you only in this life on earth, that's all. The, you only have hope here, not in the life to come. Oh, you know, we don't stop sinning and everything. You know, I mean, we, I mean, we are all men most to be pitied if that were it. And in the last verse for today, verse 20, and Paul says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Paul said, look, I gave all these things. If he hadn't died, if he hadn't risen, this, 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 this. He said, look, look, he has risen. And in him rising from the dead, he has become a first fruits for all of us, all that will fall asleep. And what does that mean? Uh, what's a first fruit? He's the one showing us what will be. What's it going to be like when we die? Some people want to know, what's our resurrected body going to be like? What was Jesus' resurrected body going to be like? Some people say, Are we going to eat in heaven? Did Jesus eat after he resurrected? Yeah, boy, we're going to be eating. He ate, what did he eat? Bro broiled fish. He ain't healthy, but he ate. You know, so we know that they ate. Uh, we know that. Um, how did he get around? Um, he just went places. He just went through walls and appeared here and appeared there. So I'm going to look at that and say, we're going to be getting around pretty cool. It's going to be all right. One of these little vehicles in the next life. I can look at that. It's a first fruits of what's to be um, for you and I. There's a different reality in the next life. There's a different power. We're going to come through the rest of this and look at how these, y'all know these bodies weren't made for heaven. And some of you guys are like, oh, I love my body. Some of you guys are like, praise the Lord. You know, <laughs> whatever you think, this body wasn't made for eternity, but the Bible teaches that we're going to get a body uh, that's made for eternity. It's made for heaven. Um, eternal. Made for heaven. A body that will never die. A body that won't have a sin nature. How many of y'all excited about that? Won't have a sin. I can't wait for that, right? You won't, so you won't get to heaven and stumble. Some of y'all with bad attitudes, you won't have it no more. You'll be in heaven, you be, you really have joy for real, you know? Uh, some of y'all, you won't be going upside people's head in heaven, you know? Whatever struggles are here, they won't be there. Because you'll, you'll finally be like him. Some people think, when I get to heaven, I'm all these questions for the Lord. No, you won't. You know why? Because the Bible says when we see him, we will know even as we are known. So the same way that God's got complete knowledge of me and you, when we get there, we're going to know. You're going to look around and be like, you're going to know that's him. That's, there goes Samson. He probably don't have his hair, but we're going to know who's who. We're gonna, you'll just know. You won't be up there like, I got, I got my, my, my questions. I got questions, God. You, won't be, you ain't going to be asking questions. You're going to know as you're known. 
There'll be no sorrow, no suffering, no death anymore, no sin. Some people think, well, you know, when I get to heaven, you know, what, I'm going to be bummed out if I don't see some people there. You know, what if I don't see, you know, somebody that I hoped had made it and they didn't make it and they're not there, but I'm there. Am I be bummed out? No, no. You won't be. How's that work? You either will be unaware of that or somehow there's no, there's no sorrow in heaven. So however it works when you get there, maybe I don't know how it works, but I'm, I'm excited to find out that there'll be no sorrow. I won't get there and be like, oh, man, they didn't make it. You know, I'm going to be worshiping. I'm going to be so glad I made it. Um, every glimpse of heaven you get, you know, you read Revelation chapter five in particular, you get a glimpse of heaven. What are they doing? They ain't arguing. They ain't asking questions. What are they doing? They're worshiping at his feet. They're just falling down. You know why? So glad they made it. Every one of us going to be on the floor, hit the deck because we all know we don't deserve it. Amen. But it's going to be by grace that we make it there and we get there. We're going to joy to hit the deck and just say, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for loving sinners. Thank you for making a way for sinners. Thank you for paying the price for sinners. Thank you for creating a heaven for sinners. And you're going to be there. You probably need a few first few months of heaven just to get your worship on. Just get yourself together, you know, before you go around figuring out other stuff. That's what it's going to be like. And so how should that impact us here and now? And I do believe that these things should impact us here and now. And here's a couple of ways. Obviously, the fact that Christ came died and rose for me and for you. One way it should impact us, there should be great hope in the heart of every believer that my sins are taken care of, that God has made a provision for you and for me. Uh, the heaven is heaven is secure. That It's not something that we earned or deserve, but he's made it available to us. There should be a hope and a peace in every heart of every believer, every child of God, because of the gospel message. What else should it do? It should motivate you to get out and share. And maybe you take a day and just say, God, I'm going to just spend some time rehearsing in my own heart what you've done for me. I feel like I've gotten out of touch. As we went through this section today, maybe you realize that I'm distant. I'm not humbled. I'm not overwhelmed by his grace. I'm not touched by God in that way. Just spend some time with him, you guys. Spend some time alone with the Lord. This is the cool thing about God. You could take a three-month hiatus but when you come back, God and I like your friends. You take a three-month hiatus, some of y'all with your friends, they're like, oh, now you're going to call me? You know, the Lord's not like that. You know, you draw near to him, and what does the Bible promise? Draw near to you. He's waiting. He's waiting for us to just come. I would give that invitation to any believer that says, man, I'm just, I'm hardened, bitter, angry. I be fleshing out. I'm not humble. I'm not thankful. I'm not worshipful. Spend some time with him. It's just that simple. There's no magic trick. You know, I can't pray a wookie-wookie prayer on you. You just need to spend some time with Jesus, get a revelation of who he is. He will do that in your heart in a real way. And, um, and lastly, and I believe this is critical, that we should be sharing it. Right? Right? Our lives should already be an evidence of transformation, but we should be sharing the message. Be careful about becoming callous in your heart, pharisaical, you know, really judgmental towards those that are outside, even inside the body. Let the Lord tenderize us a little bit and that we would see people and say, man, the Lord loves them. No, he wants them. Right. You really can't look at anybody and say that the Lord don't love them. Anywhere I look, any group of people, any person I could look at and be like, but the Lord loves them. They might be doing something real dumb, but the Lord loves them. And if I die to myself, the Lord will love them through me. 
But if I go ahead and put my standard up and I go ahead and I can't stand that thing, that thing right there really makes me sick, well, then God can't use me. He had to use somebody else. But wouldn't it be great if we all who have been met by God and received the grace of God could also be people through whom God's grace would flow to others? That's what he wants, that we be people that have been so met by him. that He's like, well, now let me be my conduit. I want to I want to meet some other people through you. Will we go out this week and live that way? You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Today's message from the book of 1 Corinthians is available to listen to again on our website. Just visit calvaryinglewood.org and click on media. Or you can download our mobile app to listen to more teachings. You'll find a link on our website. You can also search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we'd love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest times and location information. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's Word and be together as the family of God. Again, our website is CalvaryInglewood.org. As we looked into the book of 1 Corinthians, accountability and helping other believers strive for purity and commitment to God are topics that come to the surface. Although these things aren't always fun or easy, they're an incredible blessing to have in your life and in your church. So look to be involved and accountable wherever you're plugged in with other believers. If you notice that this ministry has been a blessing, even when it's convicted your heart in certain ways, we're glad that we can be a part of that. Would you be praying for a transforming word? As the messages go out, many listeners may be hearing about the Lord for the very first time. We ask that you pray for ears to be opened, hearts to be softened, and for lives to be changed. That's all we have time for today. Join Pastor Bill again for another edition of A Transforming Word.